You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Passkeys are essentially just a public-private key pair authentication, but sort of bundled into a consumer-friendly format. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. we got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Chris Sherwood, owner of Crosstalk Solutions, is joining us to talk about passkeys. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. Time travel would be a particularly powerful tool in the hands of any overworked InfoSec professional. Think about it. Being able to see the future and know which malicious emails would be missed by all the existing filters. Your ability to stay one step ahead of the bad actors would rise to a whole new level. Unfortunately, our sponsors haven't cracked time travel just yet. They are, however, introducing a new phishing protection product that can block and remove dangerous phishing emails before your users even see them. Stay with us, and in a few minutes, you'll learn how. All right, Joe, uh, before we jump into our stories this week, we got a little bit of follow-up here. What do we got? The first one is on our comment, I think two episodes ago in the Catch of the Day, we talked about revert mm, mm, as what does this mean? This didn't make sense to us. Someone used the phrase revert. Like, revert back to, yeah, yeah. Uh, and apparently a number of people have reached out to us to say in uh, Indian English, like in India, yeah, uh, this is a synonym for reply. I see. So okay. a lot of times in email, you'll hear revert back, which means reply. I see. So do we suspect it's a translation error, or is that idiom used when people of Indian descent are speaking English? Yeah, people in India are speaking English, okay. or, or people who are from India speaking right. English. Okay. I don't know if that applies to people of Indian descent, but... Well, people for whom English is not their first language, who a, a one of the many languages of India is their first language... I guess I'm <laughs> right. Well, I'm overcomplicating it, but you know what I'm asking. But everybody in <laughs> India learns to speak English pretty quickly. Ah, so I don't know. It, they they grow up in a bilingual environment, right? With English being one of the languages. But it's a local idiom that gets uh, th- that loaned was, to Eng- to their English usage. Yeah, that that yeah. was one of the, one of the uh, respondents uh, noted that, that he didn't know where in India the guy was from. Okay, but uh, I think it is maybe a local a local thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. What else we got? Uh, We got Jack who writes in and says, Hi, Dave and Joe. I'm going to start by saying that I love turning into the show every week and hearing the different tricks and simple attacks that are being proven to be more successful at large companies than a zero day. Jokes aside, during the last episode, you guys were talking about sideloading applications on one's Android phone and how that can compromise the device. So I decided to dig a little bit into this attack vector and see how prevalent and possibly successful it is. Mm. I discovered quickly with some Googling and, of course, some Google dorking, which is just advanced Google search, you know, using some of the keys that you can limit, like, to a site, which is a great way, actually, to to do open source intelligence gathering as well. 
I was able to find that many threat actors are using Google Sites to host and spread malicious apps around. This, for one, bypasses checks for random domains, which is true because it all goes from site. It all comes from sites.google.com. Uh. This, for one, bypasses checks for random domains as is being served from a Google domain, which is true because these are all coming from uh, sites.google.com. And he put a link in here that is a um, a search result link. And sure enough, you know, I, I run this search in Google, and there are just tons of apps, APKs being hosted, which is what an Android app compiles to. Uh, that's what you download when you go to the Google Store, mm-hmm. uh, Google Play Store. Uh, you download an APK, and that gets installed on your phone. Hmm. All these sites are just serving out free APKs. I don't know how many of them are malicious. I didn't didn't analyze any of them. I didn't download any of them. Right. <laughs> that's for certain. Yeah. Uh, even though I would have been downloading them on my Windows machine, still. Jack goes on to say, I guess you guys were right about Google not particularly caring about scams and malware on their products, as a lot of these sites look the same. AI could recognize such a pattern and take them down before anyone gets hurt. I would also recommend playing, playing around with the search terms a little bit, like instead of APK, try PDF, which is a great way to find open source intelligence on things. Um, but yeah, PDF might also have viruses as well in it. Mm. Uh, other common scam warnings, you'd be shocked how many Google sites are hosting that. Uh, Google appears to be doing nothing about it. Thanks again for the great show, and I hope to tune in again next week. Hmm. So uh, I don't know if AI is, I mean, I guess maybe what I would be doing if I were Google is looking at every single file and running that through some kind of malware analysis if people are serving APKs out on my site's site. Yeah. This is this is actually pretty interesting, this work. I mean, can we put this search link in the show notes so people could check this out for themselves? I don't see why not. Sure. Yeah. It's it's a good, uh, everybody can take a look at it and see what uh, see what's going on here. I, I don't recommend downloading or installing any of these products, so please <laughs> do not do that. Right. If you're going to click on this link. Okay. All right. Interesting. Well, uh, thank you, Jack, for sending that in. Uh, Joe, let's jump into our stories here. You want to start things off for us? I sure do, Dave. My story comes from a listener named Kyle who sent this in as a catch of the day, but I actually think it marries a whole story. Kyle writes, hello, Dave and Joe. I'm an information security analyst that works at a bank. I won't say where. Um, (laughs) I always listen to y'all's show, and I thought this would be of some interest. The email chain was reported to Fish ER by Patricia a senior accountant. At first glance, it looks like a normal conversation, but when I looked up the history, we had no records of this conversation between Timothy, the executive, and the bad actor, Greg. It was completely fabricated to provide legitimacy, and they also made it seem like Timothy, the executive, was CC'd on the last email, but he was not. Hmm. It had a few red flags, uh, but we wonder if the person used AI to generate it. Hmm. So let me summarize what's going on here. You have three actors in this story. Right. One of them is Patricia. She is the target. Uh-huh. One of them is Greg. He's the bad guy. Okay. All right. And the third guy, uh, oh, by the way, uh, Greg's name probably isn't actually Greg. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I probably didn't need to say that, but I wanted to make this lucidly clear. Uh, and the third guy is Timothy. He's the executive, but I don't think he's aware of any of this stuff happening. Hmm. Because if he were, he would have said, slow down. So I'm looking at this email chain, and the email chain starts with a with a, an email from Gregory 
that says, hello, Timothy. Uh, we would like to express our heartfelt appreciation for the recent phone call. Your interest and dedication in supporting our organization's upcoming gala are truly commendable. We are extremely grateful that you have agreed to become a sponsor for this important event. Your partnership and contribution will play a pivotal role in ensuring its success. To fulfill your request, we are pleased to provide you with a comprehensive sponsorship package. The package outlines in detail various benefits associated with each sponsorship level. Additionally, you will find valuable information about the, the event itself, including the details and how the funds raised will be utilized to support our cause. And it goes on with uh, still more stuff about, you know, thanks for, thanks for being a fundraiser here, or a, a philanthropist. Right. It's signed, Gregory K. LaBella, Office Manager, Special Events President of the George Rill Foundation. Hmm. Now, the George Rill Foundation is a real foundation. Okay. Okay. It's a small foundation. It's actually called the George Rill Veterans Charity Fund Incorporated, and it's based in, in the same general area as this bank is, hmm. which I kind of just gave it away, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's the first email that is on the chain. The second email is an email that looks like it came from Timothy, the executive, saying, Hi, Gregory. I hope this letter finds you well. I wanted to express my gratitude for considering our involvement in your upcoming gala. Your organization's cause deeply resonates with us, and we are eager to support the initiative. Uh, after careful deliberation, I am pleased to inform you that I am choosing the lead support level, which is at $15,000, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So Timothy didn't write this letter to Gregory. Right. It never transpired. Right. But that got sent. And it said, and, but the next letter in the, uh, in the email chain is, well, thank you for your pledge and interest in sponsorship of our gala. We're thrilled to have you on board as a lead sponsor. Super Value and C&S Wholesale Grocers have responded positively. We'll keep you updated. Please find a sponsorship pledge invoice attached. Right? So there's an invoice attached. And the next email in the chain is an email allegedly from Timothy that says, Hi, Gregory. Please send all invoices to Karen for payment processing. Hmm. Then... This is the first, probably first real email in this entire chain. Okay. The first thing that actually got sent over the email system using some email protocol. It reads, hello, Karen. Attached, per the request of Timothy, you will find the gala and sponsorship invoice. Thank you and have a wonderful day. It's interesting for me that, that the person who received this and sent this in was uh, Patricia. Patricia, I don't know if Patricia, if Kimberly works for Patricia or if... Uh, Patricia was just receiving Kimberly's email while Kimberly was on vacation. But what's yeah. happened here is somebody has synthesized an entire conversation. So this first email that comes in to Karen's inbox looks like it's also going into Timothy's inbox. So when, when Karen opens the email, she will see that she has Timothy copied on the email, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, he isn't copied on the email at all. He didn't receive an email. He right. knows nothing about this. Right. Uh, so you could see how this would work, right? Sure. This this would be like, well, okay, Tim knows everything about this. He's copied on this email. The boss wants this to happen. Right. I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and send this guy a check for $15,000. Right. Right. Now, I, if I could pile on here. Sure. And say that um, 
if these bad guys were super duper smart, they could also wait for a time using open source intelligence to figure out when Timothy was on vacation. Right. You know, like on Facebook or, yeah. you know, LinkedIn, if Timothy says, oh, about to head off on a you know, two-week cruise, you know, yeah. that's when you drop this. Right. So that Timothy's, Timothy's out, out of touch, but it all looks like Timothy wants this to happen and, and it's time sensitive. You know, the event's coming up, so we better take care of right. this. Right. The deadline is before Timothy gets back from his cruise. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. Now, Kyle asked if artificial intelligence was involved here in some way. Mm. Uh, I, I say there's a really good chance. These things are well-written. Yeah. And I can read them easily. I don't have the, you know, I don't have a lot of the, well, I do have some of the stammering, but not a lot of the stammering. <laughs> <laughs> I normally have trying to do these cold reads. Like, yeah. I'm no Dave Bittner, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but yeah, they're really well-written. I would not be surprised to find out that these are written by somebody, some LLM somewhere. Right, right. So I guess the good news here, since Kyle sent this to us, is that this likely got caught before things yes. went, went really bad. Yeah, it did. And yeah. Kyle did the uh, forensics on it and then noticed that Timothy didn't receive or send any of these things that he reported to have received or sent. Yeah. So I wonder whose, if anyone's, email got compromised here. If anyone's. It, it, uh, it may not have been this, anyone's. Yeah, this doesn't involve anybody's email getting compromised. Doesn't require anyone's email. Does not require it because... Greg, with air quotes, yeah, um, could could send this first email in with and f completely fabricate that chain behind it, that right. conversation behind it. Right. That's just text yeah. and email. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, it looks convincing, but it's entirely faked. Mm -hmm. It's clever. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Kyle, for sending that in. That is an interesting story. My story this week is actually one uh, similarly something I saw over on Mastodon. Uh, this is uh, a user uh, whose name is Bjorn Toft Madsen, who uh, seems to be from the UK, from what I can gather, because the dollar amounts are actually pounds. So, okay. <laughs> Bjorn tells this story of uh, how he was almost scammed. In fact, was scammed, but it all ended out uh, well for him. I, I'm going to paraphrase what he writes here. He starts off by saying, I was the victim of an extremely clever card fraud social engineering hack. Well, partly a victim since I managed to stop it. I was called by my bank as they wanted to verify some suspect transactions on my account. Then things got weird. All right, so we're tracking along here, Joe. Right. Bjorn is minding his own business. His phone rings. It's his bank. Right. right? His bank says uh, there had been a charge for 2,900 pounds on a travel booking site. Uh, and Bjorn says, as this conversation with my bank's counter-fraud team was happening, I logged into my bank account and could see the fraudulent charge. The bank said, was this you? Bjorn said, no, it definitely wasn't me. Well done for catching it. And then the bank said, also, sir, there is another transaction occurring right now that seems odd for 5,900 pounds at Marbella Boat Hire. Is this you? Bjorn says, no, that wasn't me either. And Bjorn says, at this point, my pulse was raised and I was worried what else was going on. And the bank said, okay, sir, we're going to send you a verification code, which we need you to read back to cancel the transaction. And Bjorn says, okay, let's get these canceled. Okay. So then a text or SMS message arrives with a six-digit code and Bjorn puts the call on speaker so he can read it out. But then he notices something odd. He says, the full text of the message says, 
Do not share this message with anyone. To approve the purchase from Marbella Boat Hire for $5,900, use this code. And Bjorn says to the person on the line from the bank, he says, hold on. He says, I, th- this says to approve the purchase. Right. Without skipping a beat, the person from the bank says, ah, right, sir. We've, we've had a few problems with our messaging system, so I'm not 100% sure what the message actually says. We just need the code so we can get the purchase blocked. You can ignore the start of the message. So Bjorn uh, says uh, his spider sense is tingling. Right. <laughs> right. So actually, let's stop right here. Yeah. What's already happened is exactly what we talk about all the time in this show. Mm. Uh, he logs in. He sees one fraudulent transaction. Right. And he's being told that another one is about to happen. Right. So his his thinking is already short-circuited here. Yeah. And that's what these guys are relying on. Yeah. Now, fortunately— Bjorn has the wherewithal to go, hold on. Right. This doesn't seem right. Right. And so that's what happens. Bjorn says, I can't share this code. And the bank person says, sir, that is very smart. I'm sorry about our messaging system being so odd. Let me send you a notification inside your banking app instead. And the notification arrives and he opens his banking app uh, and he sees a red warning label uh, that's going to be a button to cancel the transaction. But again, it just says to approve this transaction. So Bjorn is starting to worry. Right. So he says, look, I, I need to call my bank directly. This all seems a bit odd. And then, of course, the guy from the bank right. hangs up. Yep. <laughs> so Bjorn calls the bank. They have verified that it wasn't him. Right. Wasn't them. Or it wasn't them, rather, right? right? Yeah. Uh, so Bjorn uh, says uh, very cleverly, the fraudster has used their first fraudulent transaction to socially verify that they knew something that only the bank could know about a transaction on his card. Then they used that transaction that they themselves had done to get him to read a 3D secure code. And 3D secure code is a kind of a, a extra... Uh, measure you can put in place with your credit card company okay. to have to basically do exactly what happened here to have them send you a code. Uh, evidently, this is quite popular uh, in Europe, not not as popular here, although it does exist. I will bet. I'm going to bet, Dave, yeah. that the limit on his account for the code was uh, three thousand pounds. Could have been. Uh, Bjorn goes on to say that they were able to do this because the first transaction had happened on a site that didn't use 3D Secure. So 3D Secure is the oh, okay. the brand of this you know this this thing that gets tacked onto your credit card service to activate this extra level of security. Right. Uh, Bjorn says, "I'm surprised this is still possible. In the end, my bank refunded the first transaction, so I haven't lost anything." And he goes on to say, but it shows the clever tricks fraudsters will try to pull and how easy it is to be fooled by the boiler room trick. It's happening right now. Do something quick. Yep. So I thought this was a fascinating story. You know, Bjorn got lucky here. His combination of luck and and his own good gut feeling that uh, led him to uh, refuse to give them the code that they wanted. But I thought the actual uh, attack here is clever of using, uh, convincing him that they were the bank by leading with information that most people would presume only the bank would have. Right. People say, here was a transaction. It was fraudulent. Go look it up. 
and you look it up and it's exactly what they described. And how could someone else know what was going on with your bank account other than your bank? Right. Unless they're the fraudsters. Exactly. Right. They know. Exactly. They know exactly what's going on. Right. Right. What do you make of this, Joe? Exactly what it seems to be. Yeah. I mean, this is a uh, this is a clever follow-on to them compromising or somehow getting his credit card information. Right. Using it in a web purchase. Uh, the first web purchase happens for $2,900. Yeah. Uh, I hope the bank was able to call that money back. They did, yeah. He says he, they but refunded They gave it that. back to him. Yep. But I wonder if they're out the money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If it's a credit card company, then I'll bet they have recourse. Yeah. Um, but if it's if it's just a bank and they're like doing debit cards or something, who knows? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, it's an interesting one. We will have a link uh, to that thread. Again, that's uh, over on uh, Mastodon. Uh, and uh, I appreciate uh, Bjorn Toft Madsen sharing that story with the world. It's important to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, happy for him that uh, all's well that ends well. Indeed. But, uh, good cautionary tale there. All right, Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from Alec, who writes, I received this incredibly long and oh-so-tempting, please note my sarcasm, (laughs) request in my Instagram conversation request. The screenshot is attached, which, uh, of course, I didn't need to read that, but Mm. I did. Uh, I imagine if I tried to pursue this European lady, I would end up uh, getting a nice Trojan on my phone or possibly purchasing some fake Bitcoin. Enjoy. All right, it goes like this. Sorry to bother you. We are a European dating platform. Excellent singles are recommended here. Hot singles near you, Dave. Our platform won the best marriage and love platform in 2022 and has helped 100,000 plus men and women achieve marriage and love. Let me introduce our wonderful female guest. She is Ecoline Migno from Canada. Don't you hear the uh, the match game music playing? Or not the match game, <laughs> the, uh, what was it, the... The dating game. Dating game. Sure. Dating game. Let me introduce our bachelorette. <laughs> right. She is Ecoline Migno from Canada, currently living in the UK. She has many hobbies, such as running, fishing, mountain climbing, and learning all kinds of knowledge that she doesn't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's awesome. That's hilarious. I love learning knowledge I don't know today. <laughs> you know, the best kind of knowledge to learn is knowledge that you don't know, right? right? It's so it's so much better than learning knowledge that you already know. It's just a better use That's of time. That's a huge time. waste of time, Dave. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it, I, it goes on. Have their own business. A perfect man is one who has no bad habits, is self-motivated, loves life, and can tolerate his own petty temper. Age over 30 years old. If you like our female guest, you can click the link below to add her WhatsApp account. Sexual harassment, do not disturb. And then there's a link. Why do you, okay, why do you suppose the last sentence in here is sexual harassment, do not disturb? I think that means if you plan on sexually harassing this girl, please don't bother her. Okay. Right? Right. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. But I guarantee you, if you click on this link, you're not going to talk to some girl no. Who's looking for love? You're talking to some no. scammer. No. Do you ever have a girlfriend in Canada from Canada, Joe? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I did not. Okay. 
Never claimed to have a girlfriend from Canada. Never Joe. claimed to have a girlfriend no. from Canada. No. <laughs> okay. I just always owned up to how pathetic I was. Do you have a girlfriend? No. No. Not even one in Canada? No. no. <laughs> this is one girl in... Okay. No. <laughs> All right. Well, that is a pretty funny one. It and, is. It's uh, really good. Thank yeah. you for sending it in, Alec. Yeah, thank you, Alec. And of course, we would love to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to consider for the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. We were talking about mitigating cyber threats to your organization before your users even see them. The new Fish ER Plus from Nobefore was developed to help you supercharge your organization's email security defenses. How? You get a unique crowdsourcing advantage. More than 10 million highly trained Nobefore end users from across the globe catch and report malicious email that makes it through all the filters. Nobefore's Threat Lab then validates it with AI and with human researchers. Fish ER Plus blocks phishing threads other tools have missed and proactively removes them from your users' inboxes. Not quite time travel, but we think you'll agree it's a vital capability in any InfoSec professional's arsenal. Visit knowbefore.com slash products slash fish ER dash plus to learn more. That's knowbefore.com slash products slash fish ER dash plus. And we thank Nobefore for sponsoring our show. All right, Joe, uh, we have an interview this week that uh, actually I am excited about, uh, and I'll tell you why. (laughs) I have been wanting to have a guest on for quite some time who could explain pass keys. And I don't know how far you've gone down the path with passkeys, but I have been very passkey curious, but I have not engaged with anything with passkeys just because I haven't felt like I've had a really good explainer of exactly what passkeys are and how to use them. I know there's excitement around them. Uh, And then uh, magically and mystically on my YouTube feed, there came a video that Chris Sherwood had posted that was an explainer on pass keys. Uh-huh. So I watched it. It was excellent. And I said, aha, got to get this guy on the show. <laughs> so we reached out and he signed up. And uh, so happy to share that interview today. Here's my conversation with Chris Sherwood from Crosstalk Solutions. So I, I probably don't know the full, full history of it. What I do know is that pass keys have been a technology that has been around uh, actually, for many, many years, I think they've been available on, you know, for instance, YubiKey hardware devices uh, for more than five years now. Um, essentially, what it is, uh, passkeys are a consumer-friendly version of what's known as the FIDO2 Web Authn Authentication Protocol. And what happened is about a couple of years ago, um, you know, YubiKey and Apple and Google are getting together and they're like, oh, we got to do something more about security. Why don't we do something with these, you know, discoverable web authent FIDO credentials? And Apple came along and they said, yeah, but we can't call it that <laughs> because no one's going to know what that means. And so they came up with the term passkeys. Uh, so passkeys are essentially just a public-private key pair authentication, but sort of bundled into a consumer-friendly format. 
And so I, I recall, you know, it's been probably within the past year or so that there was really a, a lot of talk about this and, and some, you know, the announcements were made. And as you say, it seemed like Apple was kind of leading the charge here, but they're not the only ones involved. It's a number of organizations have uh, have agreed to use the name Passkey and also integrate it into their devices and, and systems. Yeah, that's correct. So I think the forefront leaders are uh, Apple as well as Google. I believe Microsoft is in there as well because they use passkeys with Windows Hello. Um, but then certainly companies like YubiKey have been using them for years. And the, a lot of the password managers, the popular password managers, are also hopping on the bandwagon. Um, for instance, 1Password, Dashlane, and I believe Bitwarden has also announced support for passkeys. I, I think those are all sort of like coming soon, you know, beta beta uh, announcements. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the notion is that we're trying to do away with passwords to allow a, a, an alternative and also more secure way to log into things. How does it work? Yeah, so great question. So Really what it comes down to in my mind is that passkeys are, the, the key to passkeys is that consumer friendliness, right? So, mm. you know, you and I, as folks who are, you know, adept at security practices, um, you know, we understand that like higher levels of security, two-factor authentication, you know, TOTP, time-based one-time passcodes, things of that nature are um, important for ensuring that we stay as secure as possible. But like, what about your you know, your wife or your kids or your grandparents or your, you know, neighbor next door who doesn't know about these types of things. I mean, those are people that use the same password over and over on different sites. They have memorized passwords that are super weak and they can't, uh, you know, they reuse them across all sorts of different platforms. Those are really the folks that are going to benefit most from passkeys because those are the folks who are most susceptible to phishing attempts. And something like, 80 plus percent of all successful phishing attempts happen because of weak passwords, right? So passkeys attempt to get that sort of out of the equation by using a technology that most of those folks might already be familiar with. And so if we're talking about, for instance, the Apple ecosystem of products, it's going to be something like Face ID or Touch ID. Right. Mm. So rather than, um, you know, authenticating with a password, even if you have a password and a password manager and you're using, you know, two factor authentication enabled, using face ID with a public private key uh, authentication and no actual password in the mix is more secure than even the most secure versions of like TOTP two factor authentication. So the notion here is that you have both the device, let's say for argument's sake, you have, you know, an iOS device, an iPhone, something like that. So you have the device in your possession, and then also it's scanning your biometrics with Face ID to verify that it's you. So there are multiple factors there. That's correct, yes. And then the other sort of key thing in my mind is that as far as, you know, when you're authenticating with Best Buy or eBay or Twitter or whomever, Right, right now, they have a salted, hashed copy of your password, and that is certainly susceptible to server leaks and server hacks. Right, uh, hacks. Right, those end up kind of like on the proverbial dark web, and you know you get notifications that hey, there's been a compromise and that sort of thing. With passkeys, those services and websites only have a copy of your public key, the public key side of your private public key pair. 
So mm. when you go to authenticate with a passkey, what's actually happening is they are sending, they're using your public key, they're creating an authentication challenge, they are sending that to your device, whether that device is your browser or your iPhone or your Android device. And your private key or your pass key that is stored on that device is completing that challenge and then sending back to that service, basically, yes, this person authenticated successfully. So by doing that, the private key never leaves your device. So even if, you know, Best Buy or eBay or Walmart or whomever gets hacked and their whole database of information gets leaked out to the, to the rest of the world, all they have is your public key. And that's something that, uh, that, that really isn't fishable or hackable. There's not a lot that hackers can do with it. And that's kind of the whole point. Um, now, is this completely infallible? No, it's not. <laughs> there are ways, you know, if someone shoulder surfs your pin code and then steals your phone and they can get in and they can, you know, share your pass keys to their devices, certainly that is possible. But it would reduce the vast majority of those types of phishing and hacking attempts. You know, Chris, I, I must admit I, I've been a little timid at, at jumping in with this, mainly because of um, my lack of having a complete understanding about it. What is the transition like for folks? You know, let's say I, I'm logging into my Gmail account or something like that, and I'm using a, a username and password combination, and I want to switch to pass keys. What's that going to look like for me as a user? Yeah, so typically it's just going to be almost similar to the same sign-up process that you do with like a two-factor authentication setup, right? Where you scan a QR code and go through the, you know, uh, you know, use Google Authenticator to set that up. It's basically just going into your settings and saying enable passkeys and it walks you through a quick um, sort of wizard that, that sets that all up for you, which is actually pretty easy. The problem is, in my mind, it's not quite fully mature yet. So in uh, I did a video on passkeys recently on YouTube and... In that video, I used Best Buy as the example. So here in the U.S., we have Best Buy, big chain electronics store, and they have passkeys enabled for their accounts. Now, when you go to enable passkeys, you can certainly enable that passkey, but they're not fully committed to it yet, right? Because number one, you still need a email and password created in order to sign up originally. And then mm. once you create your passkey, you can switch to it and use it on your device, but there's no option for deleting the password off of Best Buy's site. Like you can't only use the passkey. So we're not quite there huh. yet. It's getting there though. And, and certainly, you know, the reason that passkeys are so geared towards the general consumer is that a lot of people are already used to face ID, right? They're used to like looking at their phone and authenticating, you know, to open it up, right? right. And so it's essentially the same thing, but now you're doing that for, all websites instead of just to unlock your phone. And is this handled on a site-by-site -site basis? I mean, there's not, it's not going through Apple or Google or Microsoft. It's not centralized, is it? So it is not. Um, it is, the only centralization is your passkey manager, right? Mm -hmm. So the passkey manager is going to be your Apple iCloud. It's going to be your, you know, Google Chrome or Android ecosystem of products. If you're going to use a password manager, like 1Password, for instance, that becomes your password manager. So there is some level of trust that you are still having to put into a third-party organization. I guess on the plus side, 
um, you can pick and choose which organization you put your trust into. I know that a lot of my viewers, you know, were originally going to say like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't trust Apple and I don't trust Google and I don't want them to have that information. Well, there, there are other options out there. And certainly even something like Bitwarden, which is a password manager that allows you to self host all of your passwords, um, would be a good option for, I think, the folks that are most uh, security conscious. What are your recommendations for folks who want to start down this path? You know, like I said, I, I'm I've been a little hesitant just because of my own misunderstanding or, or ignorance of it. Is there a, an easy way to start? Uh, you know, a place you'd recommend as as a good example of of how this all works? Um, I would certainly try some site that is not quite like like not your most sensitive and important stuff like your bank account or your work accounts, right? So something mm. like Best Buy would be a good example. And what you want to do is basically look for the passkey symbol. And you can sort of Google that and and see what it actually looks like. It's basically like a little icon of a guy with a little key next to him. And if you see that passkey symbol, that means that that particular website or service supports passkeys and you should have the option to switch over to them. Is it your sense that this is gaining traction, that, that it seems like this may stick? You know, I don't really have a sense of that. I would certainly hope so. Um, and it does seem like more and more entities are supporting passkeys. Um, you know, again, like I said, there's been announcements from, as far as I know, most, if not all of the major password managers, uh, Apple, Google, Microsoft. I mean, everyone does seem to be sort of hopping on the passkey uh, bandwagon. Um, there's also a pretty good directory. It's uh, If you go to the website passkeys.directory, it's a directory that was created by 1Password that lists all of the websites that currently support passkeys, or at least a vast majority of the ones that currently support passkeys. Um, mm-hmm. So it, you can kind of go to that website and just look around and see, hey, oh, hey, I use that service, I use that service, and then you can log into those services and try them out. And for folks who want to check out uh, your own video on this uh, that you posted on YouTube, which, by the way, is how I found you, uh, (laughs) what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, it's uh, Crosstalk Solutions on YouTube. Uh, Straightforward. Joe, what do you think? We're getting very close, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Very close to the death of passwords. Yeah. And hopefully this is, this could be, well, this could be the password killer. Yeah. Right? Uh, I, I love the discussion that he talks about, what, what do you call it? Discoverable web authen FIDO credentials. Yeah. Discoverable web authen FIDO credentials. Get your discoverable web. You can't do that. <laughs> right. All the marketing in the world is not going to make that work. It's no. got to be something that everybody understands. Yeah. Pass key. Yeah. Very elegant. Yeah. Very nice. Like he said, very apple Right. Right. Yeah, it is <laughs> right. very apple Right. Um, it works. It, and if that's what it takes to work, then that's great. Yeah. Uh, basically, essentially, it's just a way of doing public key encryption for authentication yeah. across mo- all the platforms. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a system that is managed by the FIDO Alliance, who right. does the FIDO2 authentication uh, protocol, which is for multi-factor authentication. Yep. And... What I think is of paramount importance in this entire conversation is this has to be consumer friendly. Mm-hmm. So it has to be. Uh, I like that it's integrated with other other systems, right? That that like Apple and Google and Microsoft are involved in this. Password managers are are working on it. Right. Uh, it can be integrated with Face ID from Apple. Uh, it can probably be integrated with your your phone from um, uh, from 
Google. Yeah. Uh, it is definitely integratable with, with your YubiKey. Your YubiKey can support these. Right. Um, so probably your Google Titan can also support it. Mm-hmm. But I think it is really important that it be integrated into an existing system. Uh, Chris touches on a few points here. It, one, one of the things he says is when you log in with a password, those sites have salted hashed versions of your passwords. Uh, let's hope that's what they have. <laughs> Chris doesn't talk about this, but let me, I, I, this is one of, my, one, of my, one of my pain points. When you sign up for a website, you have no control over how they store your password. Right. You can only hope that they are salting and using a good hashing algorithm. Right. They could very well be storing it in plain text. Yeah. Right. And you'd never know. No. If that site gets breached. <laughs> and it happens. I mean, happens. every now and then there'll be a breach and, and the revelation comes that despite what they said in their, all of their security uh, guidelines that uh, turns out that they were storing passwords in the clear. Right. Yeah. That, that has happened multiple times. Yeah. That reason, that reason alone is reason enough to look for some kind of public key, private key solution. Mm-hmm. Where, like Chris talks about, if you get your, your public key stolen, who cares? This is my public key. Right. I, I don't need my, uh, I, don't, I don't care if you have my public key. I might not try to authenticate to you. Yeah. The way the system's designed, it doesn't matter if they get that. Right. That's that's a security feature of the design of the of system. Of the design of the system. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Um, and generally with public keys, they're public knowledge anyway. Mm-hmm. So they're not – actually, with, with public and private key encryption, that key ha- was never intended to be private. Yeah. It was always intended to be something that could be public knowledge. Right. I mean, it works for authentication, but it also works for communication as well. So if I want to – send a message that only you can read, I can encrypt it with your public key. Then I know that only Dave Bittner can decrypt it because he's the only one with the private key. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, but we're not talking about communication. We're talking about we're talking about authentication. Now, Dave, I'm shocked that it took us this far in the show to digress any amount from what we were talking <laughs> we were about. We were so close. We were. <laughs> we were so close. <laughs> we almost made it, Dave. Yeah. Maybe what do you mean week. we? <laughs> <laughs> you got a mouse on your <laughs> One of the issues with this is it relies on the site you're accessing to use the implemented protocol. So this is going to have to face an adoption uh, climb, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, a slope of some kind. Yeah. Um, and if you want to know how the how the system works behind the scenes, Fido Alliance has a great fact on it. One of the things I do want to talk about that Chris touched on was sharing these pass keys. Mm-hmm. He talks about airdropping pass keys or sending pass keys to somebody else. The problem is that's like swapping your private key. Mm. So my concern here is that there's a way to socially engineer your private key from somebody. Mm-hmm. All you have to do in this case is remember, never send your private key to anybody else mm-hmm. unless it's the use case like where you have to give it to your wife for some reason and your wife is standing there and her phone is open and your phone is open and right, you can do right, that. Right, right, But if you're on an airplane, right. <laughs> something pops up. Somebody says, says, hey, it's your wife. I need... Yeah. <laughs> I need don't the private do key. <laughs> right. Don't right. don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. Me for me personally, I would prefer to have the uh the hardware solution, although the software solution does provide a lot of flexibility. Right. Uh one of my big concerns would be being locked out of my account should the hardware solution fail. Mm. Uh so that's yeah. something to keep in mind. Oh, maybe the hardware solution is a backup, you know. Right. In, in other words, it should you should the 
Should your phone fail or get lost or whatever, then if you have a hardware key, you can use that as a secondary verification of who you are. Right. Or maybe you can just verify with two keys or three keys. You can have as many public (laughs) keys as you want in this this server. Right. But yeah, I'm really, I'm really, I'm going to look into, I'm going to watch this video. I'm going to look into this, uh, look into this protocol, read this fact on the uh, uh, Fido Alliance, do a little bit more research on this because this sounds like a really good idea. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, our thanks to Chris Sherwood for joining us. Uh, Again, he is the owner of Crosstalk Solutions. Uh, We'll have a link in the show notes uh, to the video that originally caught my eye, uh, but we appreciate him taking the time for us. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. This show is edited by Trey Hester. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here. Your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us.